As a minarchist, we have the most difficult time in justifying a state from its premise and then not building into a complete democracy uh, that's for a welfare state as we see today. But the same thing, uh, on the other hand, the anarchist needs to explain how justice would actually be uh, unilateral for everyone in order for it to be uh, in existence, for justice to be equal for all people. That's a very difficult question for anarchists to answer, and I don't think that uh, either one has ever been answered uh, to its fullest degree. So if there was a government, I would still want there to be a small government. I would want it to be a minarchist state for the courts and to be able to enforce those laws of, uh, of negative liberties, protection of my life, liberty, and property. So I can protect myself. I can hire a police company or an individual to protect me, or I can refer to the courts who then have their own people uh, protecting them and to protect those laws. And then I would have to have a, there would have to be a contractual agreement uh, uh, with that as well and an option to opt out, but you still couldn't infringe on the rights of others within that group uh, because then that court then would pursue you. Transmitting directly from the launch pad. Bringing blue collar to your cell tower. The rock and roll libertarian himself. It's time to blast off with Johnny Rocket. Hey, this is Blast Off with Johnny Rocket, and I'm here with my ray of truth, Miss Rayleigh really Lightheart. Hello. Hi, Johnny. How you doing? I'm so good. I am dealing with this weather change. I'm enjoying myself outside, still trying to get my vitamin D on my fingertips and my face. Nice. About it. On your fingertips? Yeah, I mean, I'm still bent a lip because I'm freezing, you know. Is it that bad? Is it cold over there? I'm a wuss is what it is. I am a wuss, but I am trying to get the fresh air, but I'm jealous of you because you are in a warm area. Well, believe it or not, it's thunderstorming right now. This is crazy. Yeah, I know. It's like I come to Arizona and it's like crazy. Anyway, so this is my very first show here in Arizona and we're not no longer in Washington or I'm not. You are. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're not in the same room anymore. What's going on with that? That's kind of weird. I'm having a hard time with it, actually. I'm not going to lie to you. The entire feel is different. So we're going to have to get to know each other with whole different cues, not being in the same room. Yeah. And yes, exactly. We're lacking the visual cues. That's true. Yeah. That's true. I mean, we have to kind of like start looking. Looking at each other, like we could video Skype it in if my internet here will handle it, but maybe it will. That's a possibility. I would love to do that and add that as another dimension of the show anyway. That'd be really fun. I actually just got the studio set up as of two days ago. So it's pretty cool. I'm excited. And uh, I'm thinking about calling this place the escape pod. We were like thinking Arizona, sci-fi, stuff like that. And I'm like, man, what, what do we call the new studio? And if you have been on Facebook, you guys have seen the slow, you know, progression of the place, this padded walls and stuff like that so I don't hurt myself and stuff like that but it's really beautiful and uh, Kim it looks beautiful yeah. the lighting is cool oh I know it. Kim did all this and I'm like wow baby that is so amazing so guess what Raylene uh, you know what when I was on my journey from Washington to Arizona yes. I went to California I hung out with my good friend Alexander Meyer right and uh, you know like he's the vice president of Launchpad Media that's right he's great so he's like I'm gonna bring over my buddy and uh, we're going to smoke some cigars. So I'm like, that. I love cigars. Hell, I like smoking. And uh, I met this guy, and he's a super cool guy, and I really enjoy talking to him so much that I'm like, dude, you need to be on the show. 
you need to be on the show. And so are you ready? I am ready. Let's do this. All right. Joshua D. Glosson is a libertarian writer and speaker. He writes primarily for several libertarian websites, including the Launchpad Media and 71 Republic. He is a former vice chair of the Libertarian Party of Pasadena, California where he worked with the former Libertarian Party state chair, Ted Brown. Joshua has been a guest speaker at various universities on the topics of libertarianism, philosophy, political science, and economics. Raylene, prepare for liftoff. Copy that, Johnny. Covers, tie-downs, and grounding cables. Removed as required. Communications connected. Check. Preamps in the green. Check. Cold beer. Double check. Thrusters are hot. Raylene, are you ready to rock? All systems go, Johnny. Let's blast off with Joshua D. Glossin. Not a problem, man. Rayleigh and I told you you would love this guy. He's hilarious. I am grinning. My face, this energy is like Michael Bolden all over again. I'm getting excited. <laughs> you know, awesome. it's funny. He does remind me of Michael Bolden in a lot of ways. I mean, his attitude. Yes. And his wittiness. I mean, Josh is hilarious. We actually drank quite a bit when I was there with you and Alexander. Don't tell the world. Don't tell the world that. <laughs> well, like just a little bit. Just a little bit. Not too much. You meant for a long time sipping on a yes. beverage together. One, just one. We we let that beer last all night. Just one beer. It was one beverage, two straws, like the two kids at the soda shop. <laughs> well, this is oh, yeah. California. I don't know. They're trying to ban the straws here. And, uh, I don't know. <laughs> they they did it here already in Seattle. We started it. Sorry. Oh, man. Oh, you're going to have to tell me all about <laughs> it's it. All, it's all the Californians that came up here and live here now. That's who actually probably made that law Yikes. happen. Wow. <laughs> That's so stupid. That was the thing that Raylene and I wanted to go to downtown Seattle and start handing out straws to people on the streets just to piss them off. Yeah. They're free. Yeah, you can make them like your calling card and actually put your uh, printer information on it and just start passing them around. And when the cops come and stop you, they say, why are you passing out straws? You say, no, no, no. I'm passing out Business cards. Business cards. <laughs> oh, Josh. I love it. Josh, you should. You might as well be and on the, the team. You're the amazing. Logan can be sucking. <laughs> yes. Yes. I yes. Love it, dude. Tell big government to suck it. it, dude. This is good. Oh god, this hell is yeah. good. This is really good. Okay, so Josh, you are a writer. You do speeches, and uh, you do write for Launchpad Media. We actually have stolen some of your articles that you have actually written. Dude, I, I think they're great. You talk about everything from economics to philosophy, and that's more or less your gig. You are really good at philosophy. But what actually got you into libertarianism? Was it writing, or was it libertarianism that got you into writing, or vice versa? What came first, the chicken or the egg? Ah, well, I mean, biologically speaking, the chicken came first uh, in order for there to be an egg. <laughs> no, <I'm just> <laughs> <laughs> I love it. No, I guess uh, I did start writing when I was a, a small child. I wanted to try to make up uh, small stories, short stories for myself to entertain myself. But uh, as far as libertarianism is concerned, uh, I would say Ron Paul, 2008. I think like most people, that's probably a, a story that's echoed throughout the libertarian movement. Uh, he really... Um, he just changed my world, completely changed my world for the better. And here I am today. Fantastic. Wow. Well, tell me about being a libertarian author with the pros to writing as an outreach. And then what are the specific hardships and challenges 
writing as a libertarian author? Yeah, well, sometimes being a libertarian, uh, we we do kind of um, put ourselves into sort of uh, echo chambers where we do like to placate and uh, try to uh, um, uh, just address our audience. And most mm-hmm. of the time, our audience, when we're writing articles, is just directed towards libertarians. Now, sometimes what I like to do is I like to try to um, write articles that uh, only pertain to Democrats or only pertain to Republicans, and I'll use their wording, I'll use their philosophy, I'll use everything in order to guide them back to the path of liberty. Um, and I would say that's the biggest challenge, really, is first getting them to click it and willing to read it. Yeah. So I try not to use those keywords in the title uh, of libertarian if it's uh, directed at those groups. That's the thing, too. I think that's kind of interesting because it's almost a bad thing to use the word liberty because it's not a really good marketing tool. Hence the name Launchpad Media. It doesn't say anything about libertarianism. It doesn't say anything about freedom. Right. Because usually when you say freedom, it's usually some Republican, right? So liberty, you know, is kind of a bad word. And I think it, it deters people from actually looking into an article or what it's about because for some reason it's it's a turnoff to a lot of people it's because it's been hijacked so often you know and uh people have such a subjective understanding of the word liberty i mean there are there in philosophy there are uh as you know there's a negative liberty and positive liberty and i think because those uh are sometimes interchanged throughout people's understanding and their and their daily use of the word then they sort of lose that uh that general understanding of that word if you said that liberty is a bad word, I would wonder what caused that in the first place. What caused you to think it was a negative connotation? No, I think it has been hijacked. And, you know, that's what I'm noticing. Like, there's a lot of people who are turned off, and especially the progressive left. They hate the word liberty because they want more government. And I think this is the position that we're in now is that it is so unpopular to not like the state. It is hilarious. Everyone is a statist. It's a religion. I agree. I completely agree. Yeah, I totally agree. In fact, I actually was raised Christian, more of a mainstream Christian, and now I'm my own brand philosophically and and, and spiritually. So I have actually used that with other Christians, a lot of people on the right, and I will talk to Republicans and people like that, and and I'll start to use scripture to explain how we're supposed to be self-governing and not to bow down to false idols. And I always use the state as a religion and explain how that's bad. And it, it really works for me with some people. It does. I, I mean, I think uh, there's there are several books out there on uh, addressing uh, libertarianism towards certain groups. But what I can tell you is I have 13 years of uh, sales experience. Mm-hmm. And I think the best way to sell the idea of liberty is on a one-on-one level. It's one-to-one. Mm-hmm. So what I do is I have to ask you, well, what are you interested in? What is it about government that uh, intrigues you? What are the political issues today that are of most interest to you? That way I can sell the idea of liberty back to the person because they they originally had it when they're when they're first born. Right. I do believe that uh, you know, people have that and then they're brainwashed out of that. Yep. So uh, what I'm saying is I need to sell that idea specifically to that person, tailor it for that person because I can't just make a blanket statement and say, oh, you need to be for all these things. That brings up a good point, though. I mean, with the Libertarian Party, because you were the former vice chair, what do you think the biggest challenge is in regarding the party? Because you're saying, in essence, it's not a one-size-fits-all kind of sale. Right. Or sell, right. With a big tent idea or a big tent organization like the Libertarian Party, that could be a challenge because, I mean, really to get the ideas of libertarianism out there, you do have to tailor it to the individual. You got to find out what their interests are, what pisses them off, what makes them upset. Yeah. You know what I mean? 
And with a big tent like the Libertarian Party, I think it's a lot harder to make it so broad. It's harder to capture the hearts and minds of people because I think people think we're crazy. Yeah. I really, I think it boils down to that. That guy's weird. You know, and I think that's what it boils down to. I don't know. What do you think, man? Yeah, I definitely agree. Uh, people do see us often as conspiratorial. Uh, you know, we have these ideas that, oh, the government's out to get us, etc. Sometimes it might be a good idea to question ourselves as well whenever we have these ideas. Uh, well, everything's not a conspiracy. We know that as logical people. Like, everything's not a conspiracy. But there are certain things that we find puzzling about government and their practices. And there is evidence of, uh, of various conspiracies and various uh, things that they have done uh, and continue to do. And I think uh, Snowden is a great example of that. He showed they have been working uh, against our Fourth Amendment and against our First Amendment and, and everything else. Uh, so yeah, as far as the challenges are concerned in the Pasadena Libertarian Party, you know, filtering we get a lot of people that were conservatarian, you know, the conservative-leaning libertarians. Yes, yes. We get a lot of uh, Republicans in there who uh, they just, they liked that word libertarian, so they wanted to be there. Mm-hmm. And then they told me about how, uh, you know, I'd ask people, okay, were well, you guys ready to vote, uh, you know, coming election, this past election, uh, 2016? And several people said they were going to vote for Trump. Yeah. And I said, Why? I said, yeah. why? And I've actually spoken one-on-one with Ron Paul about this. We asked him, it was a, it was a group of us, we asked him, and then his response uh, was specifically, uh, you know, if you're voting for Trump or you're voting for Clinton, you're not a libertarian. They are completely uh, the antithesis of our ideology, our values, and you know, explaining that to people who would come to the Libertarian Party of Pasadena or wherever, it was always a challenge, you know? It is. Yeah, I could, I bet. Like, here's the thing I've noticed is, yeah, you got libertarians, quote unquote, who come from the right and they want to push their ideology from the right. Yes. And, but yet at the same time, they're not for the other stuff and vice versa from the left. And I find it kind of hilarious because you kind of have to accept everything on all terms. You just can't pick and choose which things you want to do like, oh, well, I'm all for banning guns, but I also believe in, you know, people have the right to marry whoever they want. That's a completely leftist statement. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But why are they bringing that? You have to accept it all. In my opinion, if you are a true libertarian, you have to accept the non-aggression principle. You need to accept the people have the right to own guns. People have the right to marry whoever they want. It's just the government shouldn't be involved. And that's all we're saying and advocating. I'm going to just jump in here if that's okay real fast. Sure. I I want to say that, yes, libertarianism in itself is exploring this philosophy of self-ownership and understanding these principles. And most people come with their biases and fears. And when you come into libertarianism and it's appealing to you and you start, most people don't just get it from, from, they don't, and they don't just get it. And it's usually a slow crawl through uh, logicking and understanding, asking questions. Uh, libertarians are great at discourse and there's a lot of intelligent conversation out there if you can get past the bad words. Yeah. And, <laughs> well, the bad words are cool though. And you're not too sensitive. So, and that's one thing that people are sensitive and that's a little harder for them. But but the truth is you will, you could just be a lurker. You could be reading these comments and learning and understanding things and you, and libertarians usually progress and become more libertarian as they go. And I think that Johnny, what you're talking about, you're right. There are people who call themselves libertarians, but they are uh, never grow. And the people that never grow, you know, they... They damage and they they dilute the message. That's the problem. They are very good allies, but they are not libertarians and they are damaging to the movement overall. I think so too. 
when they talk about being in the movement for 20 years, but they're still advocating for whatever they're advocating for. That said, don't they, even even Rothbard said you could have just one. um, Yeah. Right. Yeah. You can have that one thing that could be considered statist. Yeah. Speaking of that, Josh, what is your one thing? Because everyone's got one. What one thing? As far as like uh, one thing that I'm really passionate about in the libertarian movement? No, that one thing that could be statist, that could still be considered statist. Oh, oh, right. to give up. Yeah, thing. yeah. Well, I am a, a, a minarchist, and I know we're going to have a lot of debates on this right here. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, we don't have to have the cliche uh, a discussion of uh, minarchists versus anarchists, etc. But I will say that I, I, I do believe that there needs to be a unilateral system for justice to exist uh, and to be, um, uh, to be just in itself within the United States. So I do think that I would want there to be a government entity that has the justice system. Okay. I don't necessarily mean police. I don't necessarily mean that all courts i don't necessarily mean any type of universal uh statement but rather there needs to be that unilateral system well josh that's it one thing i do want to jump in and i think being a minarchist is still libertarian like i do not doubt that that wouldn't be like an unlibertarian thing like if you believe in some courts right obviously you don't believe in the the powers that they have now but what i'm alluding to is what is your one thing that may be considered not libertarian so Believing in some courts could be considered libertarian at some point. You just want to reduce it. That's fine. Being a minarchist doesn't neglect or negate, excuse me, your libertarianism, in my opinion. Right. But like we, we all have that one thing like mine would be. I think I've talked about this is borders. I'm a little confused on that. I, I kind of get it. Like right now we're in a position where we do have borders. They're imaginary. I think they're. But at the same time, we have this system now. You see where I'm going with this? Well, we have the welfare system right now. Exactly. And I think that's the biggest threat to freedom. Yeah, I know. I, w- I would say that, uh, you know, having the uh, arbitrary borders uh, as far as like to say that this is the designated country, uh, this is the designated area of protected liberties that would be protected by that uh, unilateral uh, system of justice. Right. From a, uh, a Nozickian pr- perspective, mm-hmm. uh, I would say that uh, that's something that I would still want. But I don't see that as being anything con- contradictory to the minarchist uh, ideology. I, you know, but as far as a physical wall for that border, no, I'm against that 100%. I still believe in also a freedom of movement over those lines, those arbitrary lines, as long as there is no uh, a welfare state or a state of war as we are in today. I saw that you were talking about in the past being critical of libertarians who said they were for Trump. And I and then you said that today, which is great. So I had a question about where are you at with Trump's presidency? What are your um, cheers and jeers so far? Yeah, well, I, I do like the idea of him uh, uh, reducing uh, certain taxes. Uh, I am against the idea of adding any tariffs. I'm against his uh, uh, his ongoing pursuit of uh, fighting uh, with the Saudi Arabians against uh, in Yemen. Uh, I am against his, uh, his continued wars in Afghanistan and Iraq and uh, Syria. I think that a broken clock can be right twice a day. And uh, I think that's what we're seeing. I think that's what we're seeing with Trump, just like uh, Obama, just like uh, Clinton, uh, just like Bush. uh, You know, everybody, every president I've been in. I also understand that you want to be a lawyer. Are you studying to be one now? Right now, I actually returned to school in my 30s. Uh, I am actually still pursuing a bachelor's degree, believe it or not. I feel like uh, half of the classes that I take are a waste of time. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. You know, you guys can feel the same way, I'm sure. I do. Yeah. I do. Yeah. You should write about it because I would love to put that on the Launchpad Media. I am not kidding. I would love to talk about colleges and 
and why they're a mess. Yeah. Well, you know, another thing is I honestly feel that I could have tested out of half of my classes, not because of me being some uh, some genius. I'm just talking about practical things that I feel like I could have tested out of and I would have mm -hmm. saved so much more time, money, space, energy for everybody. Could have put people in there in those classes that actually needed it who couldn't pass that class, uh, um, a test without taking the class anyway. You know, that's that's super frustrating. But no, I'm, I'm pursuing right now a, uh, a bachelor's degree in political science and philosophy. Nice. And then I hope to uh, go into law after. So I'm, I'm currently uh, figuring out uh, studying for the LSATs. So. Nice, man. Well, how would being a lawyer, let's just say if we had a free society, liberal land, right? How would that be different in a free society versus like the situation we're in now? So actually being a lawyer, how would the law be different? I, I would assume it would be a lot easier to understand. Yeah, it would be. Uh, in fact, there's so many laws nowadays uh, that there, there's actually a good book on this, Three Felonies a Day. Mm -hmm. And what the book uh, goes through is that every day, every citizen in the United States commits at least three felonies that could put you away in prison every single day because there are just so many laws. There's just so many. And there's always constantly adding more and more and more. And every politician is saying, hey, look at me. Look at me. I'm making a new law. I'm doing stuff. I'm doing stuff. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And dude. so if I was a lawyer under a free society, a completely free society, first of all, I wouldn't have to have my respective state's uh, approval to be a lawyer. Mm -hmm. The market marketplace would dictate that really quickly. And, you know, the fact is uh, there wouldn't be half the laws out there. So I, I'm sure that uh, my place as a lawyer uh, would require me to have uh, another job in order to help fund that particular path that I also want to go down. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because when you have a state that creates a monopoly of a system, of a, of a job, such uh -huh. as a lawyer, such, a, such as an attorney, sure. that false inflates the, the costs. It does. Because you've restricted the market. Yep. You've restricted the marketplace. So right now, we actually can see there actually is a government website. Uh, that's there's something for you. <laughs> you can look it up <laughs> where uh, where they say within the next within the next thirty years, many law jobs and many other career paths are going to be completely uh, hand over to software. So uh, there won't be a lot of these law uh, law jobs anymore that we see today. Interesting, and I th I find it kind of interesting also with Bitcoin. You know, like uh, the blockchain method through contracts and Ethereum, they could replace a lot of contractual law. Yeah. And because it's written into the, you know, the technology more or less. Can you explain that a little bit better, Johnny? Like, how does that work for the listeners? You're basically writing a contract into the exchange of money. And again, those blockchain methods are self-regulating. So if you say to me and Josh, we're like, hey, man, if I do this project for you, Here's the terms, and I'm going to pay you half up front. And once the project's complete, then I pay you the rest mm -hmm. or whatever. Right. So, mm -hmm. so it's embedded into the blockchain, into the actual transaction between the two individuals. Cool. So it's, you don't need some lawyer to draft up some paper or some legalese. It's already there. Yeah. It's already established into the system. So it's really cool. I think it would get rid of a lot of contractual. And that way, yeah, free markets. It's free markets, and there's always I, that's the thing. And and like Josh, me and you had this discussion, and we were talking about like with Alexander, and I thought it was kind of interesting. Is that technology is going to start growing exponentially, right? Right. And we're going to start having homes mm -hmm. that are built by robots, three D printed homes, three D printed computers. Everything's going to be easily made. Like you can make parts at home. Like I was talking to Alexander, I said, you know, let's just say I, there's a washer I need, and I don't want to go to the hardware store. I could take a picture of it, upload it onto the computer and have a 3D printer printed out and then bam, I have the washer and I don't have to go to the store to buy it. Yep. Right. Everything will be very easily done. But then we were also talking about there would be more of a value for the artisans 
out there, like the artists, the people who actually will make furniture out of wood, handmade. Which is already happening with other things that are mass-produced, like dishes and Exactly, and, exactly. Mm-hmm, exactly. Innovation is... It is cool, but it, there, I think that there will be a market. Like, like I said, I can go to the store right now and buy a 12-pack of PBR, right? Right. It's okay beer. No, it's beer. But at the same <laughs> time, there's going to be a desire or a value for craft beer because it's unique. It tastes differently. It's not mass produced. And there's actual, somebody actually put their labor into it instead of having a robot do it. What's your favorite craft beer, you guys? Oh, well, mine is a uh, new agorist. Uh, <gasps> so I, that's I would my that's, favorite. Yeah. yeah that's <laughs> you can check it out at new agorist beer or new agorist.org, I believe, or dot com. <laughs> Ground control here. For the record, that would be www.newagorist.com. And if you donate to the show at supportblastoff.com, Alexander Meyer will send you free beer. Well, at least that's the rumor going around. Don't quote me on it. Yeah, Alexander, good stuff. Actually, that was the first time I had it, Josh, over at at Alex's (laughs) house. And it was funny because I was sitting there and I was like, man, this is really good. He's like, would you believe it's 10% alcohol? I'm like, no way. Yeah, yeah, 9.5. Yeah, it's like, whoa. Hey, guys, yeah. guess who's not allowed to have any mailed to them because of the government? <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, it's ridiculous. But, you know, as far as, like, uh, contract laws are concerned, I still think you would have contracts, uh, even in a completely free society, just so that you can sort of um, protect your purchases. I mean, it would behoove you if you're buying a big pro- uh, property or a company or, um, you know, anything that's going to cost sure. you a significant amount of money to have a specifically worded contract where both of you agree on the terms and conditions. Right. Uh, so as far as that's concerned, I do think I do think contract law would still exist, uh, even in a completely free society, even in an anarchist society. Sure. You, you'd want that. Yes, I, I agree. I'm just saying that for stupid like me and you doing a transaction like, hey, you do like this. receipts and things. Yeah, like mm-hmm. it's all there. Now, yeah, it's in your best interest. It's like you shouldn't be forced to get car insurance. But at the same time, it's in your best interest to do it. Oh, yeah. You know what I'm oh, saying? Yeah. Like you shouldn't you shouldn't be forced to do it. But at the same time, it's in your best interest to do it. Yeah, it is. I mean, uh, let's say that you're, uh, let's say that you uh, work on your own property. Let's say that you bought a small town. Okay, this is a, definitely an exaggerated uh, uh, idea. Go but for I, broke. It helps explain it. Yeah. yeah. If let's say that you bought this small town, and it's only you, uh, you living there, uh, you and your family, and you'd want to drive your car on that property there. You want to drive it around. Most states, Maybe even all states would still tell you you have to have insurance on your car, right? Even if you're not, even if you're not driving it uh, off of your property. No, nope, you mm-hmm. still have to have you still have to have insurance on it. You know, and I think that that's just ridiculous. I mean, you should be able to drink and drive if you want on your property. Uh, you know, if you're not yep. you're not endangering any endangering anyone else. Uh, you know, you should be able to drive uh, and do whatever it is that you want. I mean, it's it's your property. No victim, no crime. Anyway, so this is Johnny Rocket here at Blast Off, and I'm here with my Ray of Truth, Miss Really. Lightheart. Okay, guys, and check us out again at blastoffshow.com. And if you are feeling froggy and you have a couple bucks you want to spare, please check us out at supportblastoff.com. Again, that's supportblastoff.com. Anyways, though, we're talking to Joshua D. Glosson. We got Rocket Fire coming up, so stick around. We'll be right back. Rock and roll. This is Chris Spangle, and I am the host of We Are Libertarians, which you can find in iTunes, Google Play, or at wearelibertarians.com. We are a podcast that brings you all of the irreverence that modern politics deserves by examining current events from a libertarian perspective. So please, check us out at wearelibertarians.com.
Inflammatory. Uncalled for. Outrageously offensive. Ladies and gentlemen, Johnny Rockets Two Minute Hate Speech. Hate Speech. Johnny Rockets. This is Johnny Rocket's two-minute hate speech. Sometimes longer. Johnny Rocket's two-minute hate speech banned in Iran. The other day, my fiancé's daughter came home with a note from school. Her daughter, a six-year-old kindergartner, had been picking up small twigs on the playground and pretending to smoke them. She was puffing on them and walking around with a so-called swagger. Well, that's what the note said. And taped to the upper right-hand corner was the twig in question. So what precisely was the point of this? To shame us as smokers? To wave their sanctimonious tobacco-stain-free fingers in our faces by effectively saying, you're a bad influence on this child. People smoke. People drink. People have sex. They commit violence. Experiment with drugs. They even vote Democrat. The point is, people do up socially unacceptable things, but that is their choice. That's the beauty of freedom. Yet here we are. A child in public school where the teacher feels it's somehow their duty to shame parents because their at-home actions run counter to their jack-booted Dudley Do-Right Now, don't get me wrong. It's not good that the kid was pretending to smoke. She's a child. She doesn't understand the nuance of it all. But that doesn't give her teachers, teachers whose salaries are paid for by our property taxes, the right to condemn parents and what they do in their own personal homes or in our case, the back patio. When we were children, our parents smoked. Our parents smoked when they were pregnant with us, for Christ's sake, in the house, in the car, in the laundry room, in the restaurant. It didn't matter. We bought candy cigarettes from the store and even from the ice cream, man. It was awesome. Well, not really, but it didn't make a goddamn social pariah for doing it. In the intervening years, the culture has shifted significantly. Candy cigarettes are banned. You're not allowed to smoke at bars. Joe Camel's a goddamn terrorist. Hollywood has eliminated the hero with the smoke from their narratives. Marvel Comics has banned smoking. We've systematically removed every single mention of smoking while driving legit smokers farther and farther away from the rest of society and at least 20 feet from every entrance. Never mind the extraordinary taxes and health insurance premiums generated from the few, the proud, the brave remaining smokers. So I guess we're assholes. But if my fiance's daughter played puff puff pass and pretended to hand a joint to a friend, would a rolled up leaf be taped to a nasty gram and sent home that day with her remaining lunch? I doubt it. It's hypocritical. So to all you pretentious, non-smoking, government rats, there's one thing I have to say to you. Smoke them if you got them. Little Libertarians is a children's media company for children's ages 0 through 7. Our stories teach the foundational principles that underlie libertarianism and relate them in a manner that even the youngest children can understand and enjoy. Little Libertarians was founded by attorney and libertarian activist Dory Goikman. We teach the basics of self-ownership, non-aggression, and property rights to babies, toddlers, and young kids. Use coupon code ROCKET, R-O-C-K-E-T, for 40% off of Little Libertarian products at www.littlelibertarians.com. Again, that's www.littlelibertarians.com. 
Thank you very much. And we're talking to Joshua Glossin. Yeah! Yeah! <laughs> Enter some music, some explosions right there. Bang! Anyways, though, Josh, again, dude, thank you so much for being here on the show. And uh, we're, having a, we're having a great time. Great time, man. Thank you, Raylene. Thank you, Johnny Rocket. Thank you, sir. And uh, what we do here on the second segment, it's called Rocket Fire. What we do on Rocket Fire, sir, is I'm going to ask you a series of 10 questions. These questions will be politically related, and if you can answer these questions between 30 to 60 seconds, that'd be badass. Josh, are you ready to play Rocket Fire? I'm ready. All right, here we go. Question one. What policy change would you support to motivate individuals to assume a greater sense of responsibility? You know, I think that you need to uh, end the war on drugs so that you can actually uh, allow people to feel the consequences of their actions. I think that um, much like a teenager driving down the road, uh, do you remember when you first got a um, got your driver's license, Johnny? Uh, yeah. And when you were driving around, maybe you went to places, you went to destinations all the time. You went to those destinations with your family. They would drive you, uh, you know, just simple places like, oh, we're going to go to the to the Coliseum. A lot of young drivers, they have difficulty in remembering the routes when they start driving. Mm -hmm. After spending some time driving on their own, then they're able to get to those destinations almost without even thinking. They just they just do it. Right. I, I think that the same uh, thing is within us, that we have a moral and autonomous gauge that we naturally can uh, can can build and work with. And so we need more autonomy as individuals to make good and bad decisions. We should be able to uh, reap the rewards, the positive reward consequences for our actions. And we should also be able to immediately feel the negative consequences of our actions. Uh, without being able to measure both of those equally, we become sort of robotic in our actions and in our moral uh, assessments of the world. Right on, man. Question two. What would global justice look like, and do you believe in such a thing? Global justice. Well, uh, justice simply would be, uh, first, the most simple uh, definition would be sort of like the separation of uh, powers, the uh, individual, the autonomy of the individual, the division of labor, uh, these type of things. Justice around the world. You'd just have to have people not infringing on one another. You'd have to, uh, you'd have to have uh, groups not infringing on other groups. That would have to then continue to build from there. Country wouldn't have to uh, infringe on other country. Right on that. Question three. If we must have a government, what type of government should we have and how should these powers be codified and how would you prevent the government from growing? Yeah, uh, how would you prevent the government from growing is actually one of the better questions uh, broken in that in that one question, if there is a government. As a minarchist, we have the most difficult time in justifying a state from its premise and then not uh, building into a, um, a complete democracy uh, that's uh, for a welfare state as we see today. And, but the same thing, uh, on the other hand, the anarchist it needs to explain how justice would actually be uh, unilateral uh, for everyone in order for it to be uh, in existence, for justice to be equal for all people. That's a very difficult question for anarchists uh, to answer, and I don't think that uh, either one has ever been answered uh, to its fullest degree. So if there was a government, I would still want there to be a small government uh, in the United States. Uh, I'll speak you know, more of our country and say that uh, I would want it to be a minarchist state for the courts 
uh, and to be able to enforce those laws of, uh, of negative liberties. So uh, protection of my life, liberty, and property. So I can protect myself. I can hire a police company or an individual to protect me, or I can refer to the, um, to the courts who then have, uh, have their, own, their own people uh, protecting them and to, pro- uh, to protect those laws. And then I would have to have a, co- there would have to be a contractual agreement uh, uh, with that as well uh, and an option to opt out. But you still couldn't infringe on the rights of others within that group uh, because then that that court then would pursue you right on question four does philosophy shed any light on how parties can debate without an agreed source of truth Oh yeah, of course. I mean, we live in the real world. I believe in uh, I, I do believe in the objective truth. I, I do believe that uh, uh, in uh, external realism, uh, as John Searle, who's a great philosopher, uh, uh, also talks about, uh, that a rock. If we were to look out into into the world, does I have to start in this uh, philosophical premise first, so, so we can buffer that. That rock exists the world whether or not you exist johnny or whether i exist whether someone looks at it or not that rock is there it won't be called a rock it won't be called anything it just is what it is but the molecules and that whatever it is is still exists in the world whether or not we're here so once that we can understand that concept then we can also realize that there are uh, there are logical truths within the world and that's a that that is a first premise uh, of the logical truth that that well that rock exists in the uh, you know in the world without me being here right so from that we also can start to see there are okay that is a rock let's agree on that that's a rock okay that's a rock and we can continue to build from that we can look at from um, also uh, ontology versus epistemology. Now we're in the same situation. So let's pretend that we're looking at that rock. Now on my side of the rock, it's really bright. And on your side of the rock, it's really dark. That's our ontological perspective of that rock. Now via our communication, then we're able to say, well, okay, let me describe my side for you. Uh, it's, uh, it's roughly a color similar to that over there that rock over there. and now we both see that now he can talk to me and then he can tell me on his side you can tell me johnny you can tell me on your side well my rock looks dark uh, i guess it's darker than normal it looks like that over there it's similar to that so then with our communication we can start to understand person but we also have legs we also have legs. We're not fixed into space. So we can walk around that other side and we can look at him. And be like, oh, yeah, yeah, you're right. It is a lot like that right there. And that's that's the epistemology. We're able to we're able to understand truth in the world. We're able to this is the process of finding it by reason, by discussing, by uh, by uh, debating. Now we might de- uh, we might debate on the variance of uh, of uh, of the uh, the lightness of that side of the rock or the darkness of that side of the rock. Sure. But we're able to uh, create a standard deviation with other people, the more people that we get. And then we can start to actually find the solid line that we say, oh, yeah, the, the average person thinks it looks like this. Now, that way we've gotten rid of people with bad brains, bad experiences, bad eyes. Uh, maybe the light was just weird for them at the moment. Maybe something else is flickering, whatever. We're getting rid of those in that, in that mathematical thing. And that's what the free market allows. It allows uh, a freedom of ideas, a freedom of movement so that we can see what truth is in the world, so that we can learn and we can know things. Interesting. So that's how philosophy, from its first premise of saying the world exists, uh, whether or not we're here, and we can build up from that and be able to understand one another, even if we don't, we didn't agree in the first place. We first said, "Oh no, it's dark. The rock is dark," and, you're, and I'm like, "No, the, the the rock is light." Right? Yeah, absolutely. Our question five is: Gun control consistent with classical liberalism? 
And can a classical liberal case be made for restricting guns? Yeah, uh, uh, gun restriction, uh, I would say, does not, on average... I know that's that seems like I'm uh, weaseling out of this, but no, it does not. Uh, that's that's totally against uh, classical liberalism. You should be able to protect yourself. So this is something that uh, uh, John Locke had spoken about uh, in the two treatises of government is that you by nature have the right to protect yourself. We're, we're not, you know, and Rousseau even calls that uh, calls this out. I mean, we're not born with uh, sharp claws like other animals. We're not even born strong. We're born like dependent on other on other people. So, so in the world, you immediately have the right to defend yourself. That's just a natural human right that you have. I agree with you. Question six: How, if at all, can individuals prevent the use of nuclear bombs, chemical and biological weapons by small groups of terrorists? Are, are we uh, are we uh, assuming under a current? system or be under or under a different system we can assume that we're in a current situation okay free market immediately uh you would have um uh, companies that want to protect their uh those assets especially when they're so dangerous and everybody does realize that you know making yellow cake first of all is gonna is gonna cost you a, a lot of money to keep it uh sustainable or not sustainable but uh um balanced i'm not even sure the words i, I i'm no scientist i apologize um, <laughs> <It's all right. laughs> but but to keep it uh uh from harming you and your family and other people around you uh requires a lot of work uh, a lot of energy and a lot of money a lot of time so um i would say that um that would be that world now under this world right now how can we prevent it I'm really not sure how you can prevent it. I mean, I, I, I guess right now they have governments that uh, that protect those, and they have police. Uh, I believe that there are about ten uh, uh, major uranium mines in the world. I think five of those are in Russia. That was part of the reason why uh, Iran had to send back their, uh, their some of their nuclear uh, products uh, back to Russia. Arizona too. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Question seven: What is the nature of the relationship between rights and responsibilities? What's the nature of the relationship between rights and responsibilities? Well, uh, as as just being in the world, as being persons, we understand that uh, um, if I uh, punch something that's really, really hard, like a, a solid rock, uh, there are... You, you like these rocks. You yeah, do. <laughs> I, think, I, think, I think that dumbing down uh, philosophy down to the simplest is being dumb as rocks uh, mm-hmm. is, uh, is the easiest for people to understand. Uh, you know, but there's a consequence. There's a consequence for me breaking that hand. And then obviously as being a person, uh, I naturally want to have my two hands. I naturally want to uh, uh, be able to have that. I mean, if I could have four hands, I might even consider, oh, yeah, if I could just click my fingers and say that, I'm sure I could find use for it. I would be probably ugly. Really right. <laughs> so basically but, uh, what you're saying is you have the right to punch a rock, but you have to deal with the responsibility of the consequences. That's right. It. There yeah, you go. Exactly. I just dumped it down even further. <laughs> hey, but, but there's also a positive on that. I mean, there are fancy rocks and there are super expensive rocks that have so much value because people like them so much. So if let's say I understand that and then I go dig up those rocks, I have the right to dig up that rock or so as long as it's my property. Uh, and then I can uh, I can get the responsibility uh, of, uh, of, re- of reaping those rewards. Sure. You know? Absolutely. All right. Question eight. Well, income inequality always exists. Isn't that a necessary result of scarcity? Oh, right. Well, uh, you know, this is something that a lot of uh, philosophers have touched on, such as Pufendorf uh, uh, specifically, uh, where inequality is innate in nature and it is innate in money itself. 
Mm-hmm. And so I don't think that uh, um, income will ever be completely equal, no matter what system that you have, not only because of scarcity, but just because of human nature uh, in general. And I'm not saying that as a negative thing. I'm just saying that it is what it is. Right on, man. Question nine. Should animals have rights? If not, what is your justification? Oh, should animals have rights? I've written, <laughs> <laughs> I've written on this. Uh, should they have rights? No, uh, no. Uh, rights are a human construct. It's for us. It's for us by us. That's what FUBU was, right? Uh, that was a 90s yeah, it, it, was, it was a 90s yeah. uh, t-shirt company. They made some really hip-hop clothing. Yes. Yeah. So, so uh, yeah, they, uh, they are for us. Now, now, if you want to have it as property rights, you could have the animals under human property under yeah under human property and then from that you could say well you know don't harm my property you know you just shot my dog you tell the officer oh you just shot my dog the officer had no right to destroy your property that's uh, right you know and that's and that's uh, that's part of justice that's what part of makes a just system is that we respect the individual right on man question 10 what is the difference between implicit and explicit consent and how is it different in law than as in a personal reference Oh yeah, this is that's good. So, uh, so implied versus explicit. Well, uh, when you have an implied law or you have an implied understanding uh, between your friend, uh, it's basically off of common law and out of common practices and understandings. And it's difficult, honestly, it's difficult to uh, to try to prosecute in court if it's not written down. Okay. If you have an implied law, you would have to say like marriage, for instance. Mm, I actually don't think that uh, that marriage should be a part of the state whatsoever. I think if you know if you want to marry a if you want to marry a person or you want to marry a hundred people, that's between you guys. If you want to marry your dog, that's between you and the dog. <laughs> you know? Right? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I'm not saying that that's not uh, disgusting or anything like that either. I'm just saying that that this is what it is. Uh, it's an understanding. So then, the society, as long as everybody else in the society is understanding that, then you're saying that you two are married. Uh, so I would say that the same goes. For uh, if you go to a hospital and your loved one who you are married to uh, under that common law practice is on their deathbed, uh, you should be allowed to go into the in, into the room with the with the with the dying person. Sure, you know, and that's and that would I would say should be protected under uh, common law practices. Then uh, when you're under your with your friends. Let's say that you're uh, you're talking to um, to your friend, and uh, you know you have sort of this buddy buddy relationship. There's an implied understanding to the extent of that relationship. So if let's sure. say that uh, it's an opposite sex, uh, and you're a heterosexual, and then you say, um, uh, you, you know, you start to see the understandings of your relationship and where not to go. You know, you're not you you, you know you shouldn't kiss her, you shouldn't kiss him, uh, because it's it's sort of the understanding of that relationship. Uh, but then let's say that you escalate and start to kiss. And you both mutually agree. Nobody says nobody says no. Nobody says right. no. Nobody says yeah. It should be natural and fine to continue. Right on, man. And the bonus, and the bonus question. question. What is the difference between negative and positive liberty? And could you kind of quickly define it? Yeah, sure. I'll, I'll do it quickly for you. So negative uh, negative liberty is uh, this understanding that uh, we don't infringe upon others. We don't hurt others. We don't steal from others. We don't rape. We don't kill, etc. Uh, from others, right? Because that's an imposition on someone. So right. what we are doing is we are acting negatively in the world, uh, negative in the understanding of like uh, uh, not active on someone else. Exactly. So not as, not as positive. Now, positive liberty is this understanding of a welfare state uh, that people have uh, today of where we can positively say, 
say, oh, you know what, Johnny, uh, you you have to pay for my insurance. Uh, yeah, you need to pay for my insurance, uh, Johnny. Uh, you also need to pay for, uh, I really like this library down the road. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to need you to go ahead and pay that uh, for me as well. So I'm putting an imposition positively on you, Johnny, in that time. So that's what a, that's what a positive liberty is. Got it. Got it. Anyways, so that's Rocket Fire. Give it up for Joshua D. Glossin. Ah, thank you so much. Nice job. Damn. Too long for one. That was great, man. Good job. And the rock one, too. Huh? The rocks were awesome, man. I have like I had the visual of the rock in the shade, and I was like looking at it from like the dark side of the moon, and you're over there like looking at it from the sun, whatever. Anyways, that was Johnny Rocket here at Blast Off. I'm here with my Ray of Truth, Miss Raylene Lightheart, and we're talking mm-hmm. to Josh Glosson. And uh, we're going to be right back after this quick commercial break. So rock and roll. Are you tired of banging your head against the proverbial wall of politics and getting nowhere toward actually making your life more free? Are you tired of interview podcasts that have the same guests as every other libertarian interview podcast out there? Are you tired of hearing the same news stories that you can hear on the mainstream media? Then you need to listen to The Lava Flow, where we don't do politics and we don't do the major stories that exist only to divide you. We talk about news that affects you and your freedom, and we work to find solutions that can actually help you to be more free. LAVA stands for Libertarian, Anarcho-Capitalist, Voluntarist, and Agorist. And if you consider yourself to be in any of those categories, all of those categories, or just interested in learning about them, then the Lava Flow podcast is for you. Check us out at thelavaflow.com. The Lava Flow Podcast, channeling the flow of information to the libertarian, anarcho-capitalist, voluntarist, and agorist community. TheLavaFlow.com It's time to shake up your podcast feed, folks, by subscribing to Lions of Liberty, the only libertarian variety show out there. Spend Mondays with me, Mark Clare, as I feature in-depth interviews with great names in the libertarian community and fun roundtable discussions. Electric Liberty Land with me, Brian McWilliams, every Wednesday, your weekly dose of comedy, culture, and liberty. And Felony Fridays with me, John Odermatt, where I expose injustice in the broken criminal justice system. Find us on iTunes, Stitcher, and at lionsofliberty.com. Josh. Yeah. Oh, yeah. How we're talking We're also talking to Josh Clausen. Oh my gosh. So much fun. So much fun. This is great. <laughs> I can tell Johnny and I are having fun with you too. This is great. I love yeah, it. Yeah, I love it. Thank you so much again for having me. It's such a pleasure meeting you and talking with you both. Oh thanks, man. Thank you. Thank you so much, brother. Johnny, have you heard that Josh plays chess? Uh yeah. Okay, he, so he I wanted to ask you. Oh, okay. So Josh. So you're you're a chess player, and I have Googled you, and you're in a chess club, or have been, and I was 
And I can't wait to ask you about that later. So I assume that you understand and learn about strategy. And I was wondering if you could sum up the best way to bring the principles of self-ownership and truly free markets to America and how you would go about it, what your strategy would be, what order, what would your be your game plan? Yeah, well, uh, bringing a free market to the United States, man, do you know how hard that's getting these days? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the pretty fact tough. Is, we 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 already said you guys like saying liberty is already difficult. Uh, I mean, that's that's already shaky ground as it is, uh, mm-hmm. and now we have more and more laws that are coming out every day, and we also uh, have talked about um, uh, how people are having more uh, uh, positive rights. They're they're positive liberties. They're they're trying to impose more on us, mm-hmm. um, you know. And and Trump's uh, 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 fear mongering right now with the big uh, uh, with all the the migrants coming up through South America through Mexico oh, right yeah. now to Texas. Oh, yeah. That's just adding adding to it, and they you know is trying to uh, get us to uh, respond in fear uh, and, and quickness to say, build the wall, build the wall, build the wall, you know, yeah. um, you know, and, and, and it's ridiculous. Uh, so, so right now in our world today, I can only see it as getting harder and harder and we need to continue to work harder and harder as libertarians right now to make sure that we're uh, our, uh, getting our ideas and our ideologies out to people. Uh, so we have more to do today than we will in 10 years from now. We just need to continue this. Like what you guys are doing now with the podcast is already a great step. Well, here's the thing though. Like, I feel like we're only just slowing down. That's That's how I I think, Mm -hmm. you know, like, I don't think, yeah, like we are making a difference, but we're just, we're just an annoyance to the state right now. Like what we're doing as libertarians, we're just annoying them and we're slowing down or a little bit, you know, like we're making people aware and maybe they'll vote negatively, you know, and under that pretense, you know? So I don't know. I mean, what do you think? I, I honestly think that we need to continue and we are touching lives. Someone's listening to this radio show right now. I sound like a minister. Somebody's touching right somebody's now. Somebody's touching somebody <laughs> in the with, front row. With faith the size of a mustard seed. Keep going. That's right. Yeah. So I'm just, exactly. <laughs> and, you know, uh, I'm just saying that somebody right now is listening to it who didn't think the same way before this program today. Right. You know what I mean? And so so the fact that we've changed this one person's life, they're going to then go out and talk to other people and they might actually show people this particular podcast episode. Uh, so I do think that we are helping people and we are getting a message sent out there. I think you could actually uh, Google right now a uh, uh, hashtag like taxation is theft um, or look on Instagram or Facebook and you can probably see the number of people that are putting that also Twitter as well. Sure. So I think we are actually growing. I, I, I don't think that we're, um, we're slowing down by any means. Speaking of influencing others around you, and we know we were talking about outreach with your writing, and then you were talking about your personal one-on-ones and things like that. And and I was wondering, who's been your biggest influence in your normal life? And did they have any influence on your relationship with Liberty? Right. Well, uh, I mean, growing up, I was Christian. Uh, I was very uh, devout. I would think that that had a, uh, an impact on my, the way I view humans, the way I view people. I see that there's a value in every person in the world. And maybe that's uh, from the uh, type of Christian that I was raised as a, as a Methodist and then non-denominational. In fact, I'm also a descendant of uh, Martin Luther, who created the, Mar- uh, the, the uh, Lutheran Lutheranism. Church. Yeah. Yeah, the, yeah, I was baptized Lutheran. Yeah. Oh wow, I've never even been to a Lutheran church, uh, <laughs> but I'm related <laughs> to the guy. The guy the son. So, so I would say that I would say I would say that uh, Jesus and Christianity definitely uh, played a big role on uh, on my uh, view of liberty. And in today's world, and also the philosophers and other that I've read, but in today's world, I have several friends. 
uh, out there that I think have uh, helped me the most and several friends that I've made as uh, who are professors uh, mm-hmm. and they've helped shape I think in the way that I understand liberty uh, today. Uh, so yeah, I would say that. So uh, that was uh, uh, my Christianity, my faith uh, early on in my life. Uh, the philosophers and history that I've read, and the professor friends that I've made today. Josh, really quick, you know, you were talking about us making a difference, and we're slowly making a difference. You believe that? I think we're slowing it down, and that that is kind of a yeah. I don't, I don't know. I guess in certain ways we could be, but in certain ways we are doing both at the same time. Uh, maybe I'm just taking a more pessimistic approach. You are, but we're changing culture, Johnny. That's right. One person at a time. Do you think there's actually political integrity anywhere in the United States? I mean, do you think that there are some people out there who are trying to do the right thing? Uh, I think there are some people like Ron Paul that are uh, that have, have done everything that he uh, possibly can. Uh, you know, he's in his 80s and he still runs a website. He still runs a, a, a video. He still uh, is talking all the time and writing and uh and going around the world and talking about liberty. Uh, so, yeah, I do think that. But I would say that the vast majority of politicians, the vast majority of people in government today are, are lack integrity. They're lacking integrity significantly. Right on. Is that who you would pick for your dream choice for president is Ron Paul? Because it's always been mine. Um, is there somebody better that you have like Arvin Vora or Kim Ruff, maybe anything like that? Yeah, you know, Kim Ruff is really growing right now. I definitely see some uh, uh, some things about her in the media today. And I think someone on the show knows that. I, doesn't someone know Kim? I, I, I kind of know her. Oh, man. <laughs> kind of know her. I'm lucky to be your Facebook friend. <laughs> wow, nice. Yeah, actually, I see. I run into her every night. I mean, every day. Oh, and, uh, oh, oh. <laughs> but, uh, uh, yeah, but no, no. I, I don't think uh, there's many people better than Ron Paul, and that's probably uh, my own downfall by uh, idolizing someone so much like that. But um, uh, I do uh, I do aspire to be uh, the next Ron Paul if I possibly can. So we'll see how that goes. Anyway, so Josh, thank you so much, and Raylene, prepare for landing. Roger that, Johnny. Seatbelts and shoulder harnesses. Your body, your choice. Landing gear and downward expanders. NAP initiated. Anti-state superchargers. Defragged and woke. Landing lights and guest websites. Joshua, give us your dot coms. Oh, man, 71republic.com is definitely the one that I need you guys to go to. I do have a Medium account, and I write poetry on there more than anything. So feel free to follow me on there if you want. Follow me on Instagram. I'm uh, Josh Glossom. So (laughs) that's it. Thank you. Anyways, man, thank you so much for uh, being on the show. And anyways, so we're going to do the after party with Josh. So again, if you guys like what Josh is saying, please help us out and help him out by subscribing to supportblastoff.com. For a, a dollar an episode, you can hear all the extended interviews that we have with all of our guests. So again, that's supportblastoff.com. And please check us out on our mothership, thelaunchpadmedia.com. Anyway, so we're talking to Josh Glosson. I'm here with the beautiful ray of truth, Miss Raylene Lightheart. Thank you guys so much, and we'll see you next week. Rock and roll. <laughs>